Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Henry dedicated to Henry Foreman. In the years of the primal Welcome to Agitators Anonymous Podcast. I'm Alan Avril. You know the drill. Another year, 1624, 1854, 1974. What is it? It's 2024. Okay. Well, last week's podcast was um, sort of a consideration of where the year might be headed in terms of culture and politics. Uh, some people agreed, some people disagreed. You might have noticed that I don't put every podcast up on YouTube anymore. It's just a kind of experiment, really, to see if I can move more people and numbers across to the podcast platforms. Sometimes um, the YouTube algorithm, it seems, clearly crushes the podcast. And um, it's just an experiment, but they'll probably all go up. Maybe not exactly in order, but... Ah, who knows? Who knows? Um, but last week's one was about culture and politics. This one is going to be about the music industry in as much as I can try and make some sense of it for the coming year of what might um, what might be in store for us. Uh, and I suppose more than about the music industry in general, it's going to be about the underground metal scene, more as to the point, and what we are looking at those of us who are involved in it, well, you are probably involved in it while you're listening. Maybe you're not into metal. Maybe you listen for the dulcet tone of my Irish brogue. I don't know. But, of course, every um, small scene or every underground scene or every counterculture, whatever you want to call it, alternative music scene, is a microcosm of something far greater. But trends that move through the broader music industry, eventually, um, they descend into... Um, the uh, Stygian crypts of the underground metal scene, whether we like it or not. Sometimes they take a couple more years to um, dissolve into the into the water, whatever you want to say. Um, like when the rest of other, you know, there, there are things between different musical cultures that sort of stand out. And that one of the things that stood out, for example, in the underground metal scene was um, vinyl purchasing or our festival culture. You know, there's idiosyncratic differences between most um, musical cultures. But I'm going to talk about how eventually the mainstream trends begin to uh, disseminate into 
and the underground scene. Now, some folk disagree, but I think there is an overlap between this podcast and last week's about politics and culture. In that, um, we're going to continue to hurtle downhill, and I think it's going to be defined by a frenetic chaos. A frenetic chaos. Now, before we get into frenetic chaos, I should say some things about the sponsors of this week's podcast first. So before we get into the episode, as ever, the podcast is sponsored by Metal Blade Records, the home of Primordial. So you can go to www.metalblade.indiemerch.com, I-N-D-I-E, metalblade.indiemerch.com, and you can use the code AA2024, and then you type 10% off, and you can get 10% off your order. It is the home of Show No Mercy, Hello Waits, Cannibal Corpse, Fate's Warning, Merciful Fate, Primordial, tons and tons of bands, Sirith Ongal. The list is endless. Um, times are tough, and that 10% off can mean an awful lot. And this is the only metal label that is still independent. Right then. Now, back to the episode. What do I mean by frenetic chaos? Good name for a thrash band, actually. Um, there's just simply so much music. So much music. And so much new metal. It's daunting. Uh, I've said it many times, and maybe you're bored of me saying it, before trying to find um, a port in the storm and latch onto a few new releases. For me to even find 10 or 20 that I get the time and space to properly absorb, 10 even a year is very difficult. Of course, life gets in the way, the responsibilities of your life. I'm like I did a podcast before about the, with the ironic title of Podcasts Are Killing Music, um, which I kind of think they are because when I talk to many, many people anecdotally, they seem to listen to far more uh, minutes of people speaking than music most weeks. Now, does that speak to the atomized nature of lonely living in 2024, it probably does. But there's so much metal. Pick up any metal magazine, pick up Deaf Forever, pick up, well, if they, you can pick them up if they exist anymore in paper form. But I've said it many, many times already. Like I said, you're probably bored of me saying it. Trying to give music the proper time and space you need or used to be able to do to absorb them is very difficult. As the pressure to already move on to the next link is almost overwhelming. Now, people I've spoken to from different underground labels, small labels, um, or people, I suppose, who've just been, I think, um, sitting on the optimistic side of the fence, hoping that things will slow down a little bit. I don't think, I don't see any signs of that happening. I don't see any signs of things slowing down. It seems like wishful thinking now, looking back that some people thought the pandemic um, and lockdown would not only finish off a few average bands, but kind of put the brakes on things for a moment. I think there was a hope, a greater I think it was a kind of slightly naive hope, but this idea that this was a breather, a pause, um, a moment to take stock, um, not just in musical terms, but of life in general. And that's okay if that's the way you felt and you were able to, if you were able to take it as some kind of a breather, well, good for you. Um, I wasn't really able to do that. And many people weren't. But what seems to have certainly happened is that many t people took this opportunity, uh, this moment um, to just... Uh, everyone started making even more music and just it's hell for leather. There's so many more people looking to make music, starting bands. And I think people of us, some of us who'd been around for quite a while, 10, 20, 30 years within the underground scene, thought that maybe this little hiatus would put some people off 
and slow things down. But I think, no, not a chance. What seems to have happened is that that moment just forced people into a writing frenzy and like everything else, supply and demand. There is just so many releases and a finite number of ears you can get on any one of them. So numbers are going down and down and down. And I think it's only going to get more hectic. Um, I asked in a previous podcast when I was in my early 20s, you had the space and time to get your head around releases and find your faves. I always remember Blessed Are the Sick came out the same day as Mental Funeral, two of the greatest death metal records ever made. And you were able to take all of that next week in school and after school. You would get home, you would listen to your vinyl over several times over that evening. You would um, dub it onto a cassette. Um, you had your then your cassette Walkman and I would listen to. I had Blessed of the Sick and Mental Funeral on a C90 cassette and it just went over and over and over and over again. And by next Saturday, a week after, I'd probably heard both of those records 20, time, 20 times, 25 times. Is that possible anymore? Do you have a new album that you hear 20, 25 times? Um, certainly not in one week, maybe in a year. I don't know. But that was the month. I remember that was the month where those two records for me at least dominated that month. Can you imagine a record now dominating a month? Especially maybe if you are a bit older and you're just that little bit more removed, you can find a couple of things every year. But if you're, I don't know, young and excitable, how can you take in 50 new thrash metal records every week or two? I have no idea. Um, How do you find the favourites that become defining that define a moment in your life how does this newer chaotic frenetic relentless underground make it possible for people to form the same kind of emotional bonds with bands or albums i remember distinctly in the summer of 1996 for whatever reason triarchy of the lost lovers uh, by rod in christ was just like a soundtrack to that particular moment in my life i'm 21 years old and one of my favorite albums still it has a kind of a sort of tragedy to it a sort of very melancholic moment for rotting christ i love it love this album to bits one of my favorite albums ever it still means a lot to me it still resonates very deeply with me how is it possible for things i mean i'm sure if you're maybe you're 21 right now you're thinking to yourself well fuck you avril um your own album that you just released resonated the same way with me i hope so please let me know in the comments and tell me what a, an old fool I am. But I just wonder how people get the space and the time and the moment to be able to play records over and over again as they used to and let them absorb into their emotional subconscious. Do things mean the same anymore in a world that is so frenetically atomized? How do we form these bonds with records when the avalanche of releases adds pressure to everything and everyone? And I wonder about that, for example, with the new Primordial as, and you can feel free to disagree, but we made another album with, with um, I would say, emotional depth and weight um, that, let's say, could resonate with people as deeply as our older albums. Um, but will it? Could it? How could it? Maybe the albums in our canon that can have the same impact or from a time when things seemed a bit easier to make a ripple in the pond, as they say. And maybe it was easier 10 or 12 years ago. Maybe it was easier for To The Nameless Dead to have the impact that it did. Because also you're a young band and your crowd is growing with you and it resonates with them at a certain age of their life. I've often had this conversation with people in the Irish metal scene and they go, ah, you never did anything good after Journey's End or Spirit the Earth to Flame. And I go, well, where were you in your life at that moment? You're probably 23, 24, 25. Maybe that spoke to you at a particular time 
when you were interested and involved in the Irish underground, proud of the bands that were coming out from Ireland, taking steps up. Maybe you saw us at Vakken the first time and thought, yeah, they're my guys representing my country. And it resonated in a very deep way with you. Um, that now, as we're older, it's impossible for the new Promodial album to resonate with you. And I'm happy when somebody says that to me because it means that they do love something that you made, even if they maybe haven't got the space or the time to absorb this new album as they did an album 10, 15, 20 years ago. But um, am I being hyperbolic? I've said the word hyperbolic a few times in podcasts lately. Maybe I need to look up its meaning. Perhaps. But it strikes me that it's very hard to position yourself within this raging storm of music and fully absorb things properly um, and let them see, seep into your um, your subconscious, so to speak, and maybe to form emotional bonds with this music because I think things are only going to get more frenetic. And what does this say about the nature of our scene um, as an artistic endeavour? As art itself, music, of course, is art. Underground metal is art. What does it say about the nature of of our scene um, of music when you place it against the ever deepening waters of consumerism. Does music itself just have less and less meaning, less and less resonance? I mean, I suppose mathematically, it would seem to suggest that it does, that things have less meaning. How could they have the same foothold in society if there's just an endless, an endless slew of releases? And as we're moving into a place in, say, uh, in a place where art itself is going to be uh, co-opted, is going to be made by AI, it's going to be made by machines. Um, I, it, it suggests to me that there's going to be some very complicated intellectual um, hurdles we're going to have to be able to uh, jump over over the coming years to try and separate these things. And maybe um, art just, maybe it just feels less relevant in a scene now, which is just, whether we like it or not, going to become a microcosm of um art of creativity in general and the very nature of what that means and how we relate to something that's made by our very own hands versus a machine. Maybe music is just too easy to make. I mean, you can go on GarageBand now and you can buy um, drum packages from the drummer of Megadeth and you pay your money and you get your drum fills. You can lay them out in a song. In fact, probably there is some um, sound engineering AI bot that can do it for you. You can pick, you can play the bass or you maybe don't, you don't need to play the bass. You can take a bass loop and you know what I mean. You can basically generate the entire thing. I think realistically without actually being a musician or having any creative input into it. So is it hardly surprising that it somehow seems that there are less things out there that have artistic worth? Or maybe they do, and I just don't know them. But I think we'd be foolish to not be worried about the implications. Spotify, as already, um, you know, I've talked about them before in the podcast before, but they've they said they're not going to pay out any more royalties to songs which don't stream over a thousand times. Now, this is a tiny, tiny amount. I think it's like 0.0003 cents per stream. And it seems on the face of it kind of reasonable. But then again, if your bank said, well, you know what? We're not paying out um, people's dividends of two, three, four cents because it just it's too much time. Uh, it takes up too much time, too much accounting. And you go, well, I'm only missing out on two or three cents. But take that two or three cents and multiply it 100,000 times. And all of a sudden, this bank has made a huge um, unaccountable profit. Well, now this is a tiny amount that Spotify are saying they don't want to pay. Um, but they are starting this year, I think, to charge for um, positioning in playlists. 
And you wonder where do these small little unpaid royalties go? Um, because if I'm not incorrect, at the moment, I think 100,000 songs get uploaded a week to Spotify. And some analysts expect that to rise to a quarter of a million um, within a couple of months. That's just so much music. And what percentage of that music is going to be made by AI? I, I don't know. I guess we're going to find that out in six to nine months. Are kids going to care if new pop music um, is made by AI? I, I would point to Rick Beato. Um, he's an older kind of dude who run, has an amazing YouTube channel. He's a guitar player and he goes through uh, pop songs and the top 10 pop songs. And he's one of the few um, reasons why I know some of these numbers or know some of the things he's talking about because he sort of keeps me connected to this sort of Spotify, the Spotify world. And of course, what happens then is that this also means, um, you know, what does this mean for heavy metal things? That's what we're here for, of course, as this whole thing trickles downstream. Because if there's going to be, if Spotify is predicting this many more um, uploads every week, well, then obviously a certain amount of them are going to be heavy metal. And at, once, and at what stage do we get to the point where um, maybe you decide you need a new Mugwa, Mugwa, M-G-L-A album, um, and you were able to in 12 to 24 months, ask um, your, you know, AI or whatever fashion of platform um, will be there for creative music to just, hey, look, I'm a bit impatient for their version of their own album. Can we have an AI version of a new Mugwa album? Um, and that's, I'm, that's something I'm going to come to in a moment. The proliferation of bands wearing masks and hoods, faceless members of bands. Could this mean um, that we're going to see you know, uh, again, a kind of AI proliferation of more and more of these kind of bands because they don't need, you don't, they don't need a face. I think Sleep Token is a very good example of that. But I'll get to that. It's at this moment I'm going to introduce you to the sponsor of this, um, this week's podcast, the band. They're called Windthrow. It's a one-man band from Sweden playing black and heavy metal with folk influences. The second album, Katabasis, which you should hear a little bit underneath uh, what I'm talking about here is now available. Follow the links um, underneath to go to the band's Bandcamp and support independent artists. I'm going to be releasing next week an entire song. It's going to be something I'm going to see if it works for all of you who are listening. Um, if you're in a demo band, get in touch. Maybe it's something that we can work out. I'm going to just devote a, a five, six, seven minute um, promo uh, podcast. Maybe on a Tuesday or Wednesday, just go, here's a song by an underground band. Check it out. Right then, Winthrop. Personally, having talked to almost a dozen underground labels over the last months, last six months, they are all telling me the same story. All of them are selling less and less and less. Sometimes they're saying they're selling 75% less physical copies through their mail order than they were two or three or four years ago. This is financially untenable. Of course, during the initial moments of lockdown, there was a spike in online ordering as people had nothing else to do and spare cash burning a hole in their pocket um, and the novelty of the situation and the idea that something might arrive in the post that could liven up your um, your day of staying inside watching Netflix. It was attractive to people, but the energy crisis, the cost of living crisis is biting hard now. And who has the money to just spend on 30, 35, 40 euro for a vinyl um, or more even, and uh, once you add in the ever-increasing costs of postal and shipping, which let's also be clear has 
gone insane. And one of the reasons, you know, I keep getting messages from people going, why isn't Primordial stocking the new vinyl on your web store? The answer is because the wholesale costs of the vinyl have gone up. The shipping costs from Germany to here have gone up. Our packaging costs have gone up. Our shipping them out from here to where you are. And the fact that one out of every 10 or so gets lost or broken um, means the profit margin is almost negligible. Um, you literally are making nothing and divide that profit margin by five, as is Primordial's democratic will and want to do. Um, and you're left with a whole lot of effort for not very much reward. Um, and a lot of bands, and it seems like an awful lot of labels are looking at some of these dire financial prognostications or um, potentialities and thinking, how are we going to move ahead um, as a small business? Because the cost of doing business... Um, which, you know, we can go back to that lockdown moment, which lockdown um, moved and closed tons and tons of small businesses. Um, this is the what's happening now. The cost of living crisis and the cost of doing business is a downstream effect of that moment as well. It's what follows in the wake of, um, you know, the kind of all of these crisis moments. Um, and so, as I said, that's biting hard and people are just not buying things. Quite a few, few smaller labels are saying things to me like, if things don't pick up over the next 12 to 24 months, they might have to reconsider. They might be gone. Because it's the physical copies and the mail order copies and profit margin they're in that keeps these labels going because they certainly aren't making enough money from streaming, um, I don't know, 10,000 times of or 20,000 times of some of some new release which is you know probably what they are uh, streaming if it's a, a reasonably popular release they're not making uh, that money back from digital um i would love to know from traveling merch stall people um are they still selling the same amount as they did at summer festivals in 2015 you know the like uh, you would go to a festival in 2012 or 14 or 15 and i used to do it i used to pot around i used to love doing that are these stalls doing as much business as they used to, or are they selling more bootleg T-shirts and more more T-shirts? Um, it feels like people are buying more T-shirts because you can't really download a T-shirt. You know what I mean. Um, the other thing I wonder about is age. Are a section of the cult, with a K and an umlau, mini festival crowd, um, are they aging out of the scene? People move on in their 30s, in their late 20s and 30s. They have a different set of responsibilities. Life starts to get in the way. Um, and are they just moving out of the scene? And so people who were there to buy records five or six or seven or eight years ago have now moved on to maybe a different kind of music, maybe a different kind of scene, different set of responsibilities. The cost of living has just simply made it untenable to be actively part of the underground scene in the sense of buying tickets to shows, buying merch, buying vinyl. Um, and you're just, you know, you're just streaming the odd album as you're doing something else. The cost of traveling has become expensive now, maybe even kind of insane. Could be part of the plan, eh? eh? Well, that go back to last week's podcast for <laughs> a discussion of that. And it's all pretty boring and mundane, but what it seems to mean is that there's so much more music to go around and just less of any physical um, pie, so to speak. Uh, physical pie. Right. Um, don't Google that. I think that's going to be something rather rude and disgusting. But um, there just seems to be everyone is selling less of everything physical. And there's just not enough money, as I said, in that for small labels to keep promoting. And, you know, I'm sitting here looking at the new Malo Carpatan album, which was released on Invictus. Um, brilliant, brilliant record. One of the best heavy metal records of last year, if you looked at my top 20. 
and even anecdotally, Dara would not mind me saying, who runs Invictus, um, the cost of doing business for them is is so much more um, difficult than five or ten years ago. Um, and there's, you know, we've had various discussions back and forth, but I have to add, seeing as I mentioned Rod in Christ and Trark of the Lost Lovers, I was sitting around with my old friend Sakis at the end of last summer and asked him, do you think you're going to be allowed to travel the same way in two or three years? He just said flat out, no. That's why I'm doing as much as I can right now. Because many of us who've been in our careers for a couple of decades are now looking out through the rearview mirror at our careers stretching back behind us. And now that's a very um, interesting, uh, confusing, um, complex set of um, ideas and thoughts come to you come to mind when you realize that you're kind of you're looking back over the main body of your career, including your life. But I said to him, you think we're going to be still doing this? And he goes, well, we are still going to be doing something, but in five years. Now, if you, he, I said, and you have to ask, are newer bands going to be able to get the same opportunities as bands like Rotting Christ or Vader or Marduk? Are they going to be able to travel the world and do the same things with their careers ahead of them while ours are, for the most part, behind us? This is a very interesting question. We all fear the same thing which is that, as I discussed in the other podcast, that we will end up with personal carbon footprint emission passports, which the political global elite will use to restrict our movements. Now, if you believe that's what's needed to solve global warming, okay. Again, I hate doing this, but every con- every conversation about, for example, climate or global warming, you have to preface it with the idea or pre... You can't just have an opinion about it. You have to say, yes, I acknowledge that there is a very real threat and a very real discussion to be had, and then you have to say, or I would say, and I know it's an emotive topic, like every topic these days, designed to be emotional, elicit the most extreme reaction either way. And you have to, as I said, preface everything by saying, yes, I acknowledge, um, obviously, the threat of climate change and all that kind of thing. But also, and let's say it like this, what percentage of this argument, what percentage of this debate is about social control? And we must all acknowledge that that, um, we, that can be factored in to all of these things, elements of social control, control of movement, restrictions on travel, restrictions on your liberties and your freedoms. I'm not going to get too political about it, but um, what percentage is social control is a very pertinent question that I think everybody should be thinking about because none of these arguments, as I always say in the podcast, are 100%. They all reside within that gray area in the, in the middle. Is it 16% about social control? Is it what percentages of these arguments can we ascribe to all of these different and um, pushing and pulling factors? Because none of them are zero. None of them are 100%. And this comes under that, I think. It's a fairly simple question, really. And I think it should be asked. Are we moving into an era where we are going to have um, government-imposed restrictions on our movement and on our travel? Because this will affect the scene that we are all inhabiting. But for levity's sake, I must also um, posit the, you know, the idea that that's just a conspiracy theory, and that there won't be any governmental restrictions on movement or you know carbon footprint emission passports or that kind of thing. And that's look, life will just go on, and it was a blip. And that, um, what would that mean? The complete destruction of the tourism industry. And for tons of small countries and small towns and who depend on it to just be completely devastated. Let's just hope it's a paranoid theory and nothing of the sort is true. 
I'm willing to say both things can be said to be true at the same time. It just depends on the percentage. Anyway, I said I wouldn't really talk about politics with this one. What I was trying to discuss there was the idea that um, if the travel, the movement, festivals, festival culture, the thing we grew up, if that is restricted, then it will be over. Um, all of the things that you took to be part of your underground scene will be over. Um, because if let's be clear, if something like that has to happen, you can forget festivals, forget touring. Sit at home with your AR goggles on and visit virtually. Now, of course, this might save you from staggering around in the mud and piss and sleeping drunk in a wet tent and having to get up at 5 a.m. for a piss and not be able to find your boots and step on someone else's piss on the way to the ditch. Hey, that's all the fun of the fair, isn't it? That builds your character or whatever. And maybe there is something like a collective unconscious among the industry, among musicians, that feels we're in the last few chapters of all of this, so let's go hell for leather and get as much as done as possible, as fast as possible. Um, and it feels like that's part of the collective frenetic consciousness. And I admit, I understand the urge. And maybe I didn't really explain that very well. Is it true that, that there's a move to sort of create or implement a kind of modern digital, you know, techno-feudalism, whatever you want to say, the removal of the middle class and their aspirations and sort of hand over more control um, of movement and power to a small group of technocratic elites. That's what, and that's now quite, quite a big sentence full of um, things you could probably pick apart and feel free to. Um, and of course, maybe it's just all falls flat in its face and none of it happens. But it feels like those kind of things could have huge implications for the music industry and, the, and, uh, and therefore the metal scene. And like I said, I understand the urge to want to, you know, um, you know, smash the square peg through the round hole and get as much done as possible. But let's be clear, as I said, festivals and touring are the life's blood of the metal scene in a way they aren't for most other modern types of music. Um, without it, I certainly wouldn't make more metal. What would be the point? I would have to ask uh, in a kind of blunt way, but in the grand scheme, you know, bands are being asked to master newer, newer platforms and algorithms and create content all the time to more or less. You're required now to be your own promo. Does it work? Yes and no. I mean, something has to. Something has to engage people and then move them on to finally, it would seem, listening to the music. But sometimes that isn't or doesn't seem to be the most important thing. I somehow have a feeling that um, a new thing this year may, might be bands making long-form content, almost like their own chapters in a movie. Of course, this will move to the 15, 30-second TikTok ideal. Um, some people will move to that. But I kind of see Instagram as pushing harder with reels and maybe there is space for this kind of long form, um, longer form content from bands. But this requires them to more or less be TV presenters as well. Maybe not. Of course, more or less impossible to monetize, but um, somebody has to be good at the editing, right? There's always exceptions to the rule. I mean, even look at Mugwa, who don't really do interviews. Um, they work things online when they have to. But let's be clear, without touring and playing festivals, no one makes a penny in the underground. So if the movement gets downsized, let's say, let's say that this means less and less money. Is metal going to shift to just being online like some other forms of music where the live performance and experience is less important? Um, I mean, look around, look at the bands and musicians on tour. They're mostly older, right? Mostly legacy bands. Do you see my point? Or have I managed to explain that properly? It's kind of confusing. Certainly, I can attest to this. Bands are making less and less. And a fee we got five years ago is worth a lot less than it was now. Flights are going up and up. Hotels are insanely expensive. Gear hire has gone up. Hiring a van has gone up. Have you tried this, to do this compared to four years ago lately? The cost of a tour bus. The crew want more money. 
Um, of course, they didn't earn during the pandemic, but neither did bands. And now many people have stepped step sideways um, to more um, supposedly reliable income. So it's a shortage of crew people. So they're all charging more. Supply and demand, baby. Let's be clear. Insurance on venues has gone up. Talking to various people who organize festivals, they have said the same thing. The local council or municipality wants more and more money. Printing a shirt was something you could do for three or four year euro four years ago. Now it costs eight or ten. 100% increase. Ever wondered why shirts at the venue cost more? Well, that's part of the reason. Shipping costs for these shirts and greater luggage costs from the airlines. Before we discuss more and more venues taking merch concessions from bands for sometimes doing little more than providing a table. Um, what am I talking about? What am I getting at? What do I think the music industry is going to throw at us in the next year? I think the costs of touring and doing business are just going to keep going up. Um, but I think there's going to be just even more music. More people are going to be making music for um, however, whomever, um, in any which way they can. Um, and maybe their aspirations weren't as they were when I was 17 or 18, which you wanted to go on, out on tour and wanted to go and do this, that and the other. Um, personally, I don't really see the point in starting a speed metal band to just trade files online because <laughs> where speed metal lives is, um, you know... Uh, in a dirty backstage somewhere waiting to go out and play in front of 50 to 100 people. Um, that experience, um, I, I can see it being squeezed and pushed in the next 12, 24 months. And this is probably reflected in the amount of small venues or small bars you're seeing closing as the city centres get more and more gentrified. Um, you're kind of left with only the big corporate kind of horrible gigs that are um, leave you with that empty feeling in the pit of your stomach when you intend them as um, all across, I think, the Western world, across probably the whole world, small bars and small businesses are closing and they are the lifeblood of small underground touring. I think that um, we're going to see some movement of AI into songwriting. I'm fascinated by how popular this band Sleep Token have become um, with these sort of minimalistic strange videos. And what they seem to have done, and maybe I talked about a bit about it in a podcast I did with Chris from High Spirits, which is coming out. They seem to have sort of made this kind of tool style, down-tuned, technical metal that everybody seems to love now. The sort of slightly technical bits of polyphia. I don't know if I said that right. Or some of those kind of genty, stop-start, slightly techno bands, but with the vocal production of like a pop song. Um, whatever they've done, they've cracked the code, but yet all wear masks. And yet, sort of made me wonder when I was listening to it I was like this sounds like music made by an AI this sounds like an artificial artificially constructed music maybe we're going to see more of that because if we have all of these bands the technology is going to soon arrive where you're going to be able to create your own band like Sleep Token um, so could that mean we have AI uh, anonymous AI bands um, making albums just kind of like this style are people going to care if would would people care if it was revealed that Sleep Token was an artificial band, that it wasn't actually real, that it was just AI and it was just programmed by some guy in his basement or some some girl living in her penthouse uh, overlooking the canal down the road, um, you know, sweeping up tons of money from all the streams. Would would the people who love it, like it? Would Would that matter to them? I don't know. Would they mind if the tour was a hologram tour or an avatar tour? I'm like Kiss are talking about doing. It, it's going to get very confusing, I think. It's going to get, the lines are going to start to be blurred and the traditional elements of all of this are going to get pushed to the periphery. I kind of feel like that's happening. Um, 
I suppose there's going to be some big questions to be asked morally and intellectually about uh, some of this kind of thing and the place of art and songwriting within um, a modern framework, a modern digital society. Add to that, as I said, um, just the cost of doing business the traditional way um, is going to become harder and harder. My friends, that's a kind of ramble across some ideas about the music industry. For the coming year, I may be wrong, I may be right, who knows? I may be insane, I may not be insane. Who knows? It's Agitators Anonymous, isn't it? You know what you're here for. Well, my friends, we'll talk next week. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.